We'd like to continue tonight our study of the life of David. We'll be looking in 1 Samuel chapter 24. When we concluded our message a couple weeks ago, we find that David had experienced um, miraculous deliverance. Of course, I'd say all his deliverances were miraculous, but this one was just extremely amazing as it looked like Saul had reached a point where he just about had David in his grasp. But a messenger came and told Saul that the Philistines had invaded the land. And at that time, Saul had to make a decision whether to go back and defend the land against the Philistines or whether to go ahead and pursue David. He chose to go back and fight the Philistines. Therefore, David escaped when it looked like his time had come to an end. Now, very few men, I believe, in history have ever gone through the dangers, the sufferings, the persecutions, the attempts on their life like David. On the other hand, very few men in history have experienced such deliverances as David had experienced in his lifetime. And at this time, David is still a very young man. I'd say somewhere in his 20s. David had faced many tests. He was tested as a shepherd boy when that lion and the bear came and tried to take one out of the flock. He was tested in his battle against Goliath. He was tested as a captain of the armies when they went out and fought the Philistines. He was tested uh, in many, many different ways. But what occurs in chapter 24 is going to be perhaps the most major test, in my opinion, that David will face. And it will be a different type of test. So when we go into chapter 24, we find it opening up with Saul returning from the battle with the Philistines. I think we can assume by reading this that he was victorious, that God blessed him. Not necessarily because Saul deserved it, but God had a people that Saul was king over, the nation of Israel. And so he returns, having accomplished driving the Philistines back out of the land. And while he was gone, David had moved to a different location. He wasn't in the same mountain where he was at when it looked like Saul just about had him in his grasp. But we find the report comes that he's in the strongholds of Enjadai. And so Saul had his spies, and they report where David is at. And we find in verse 2 where it says, Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel. Not just 3,000 men, but these are 3,000 chosen men. In other words, these were highly qualified men that Saul has chosen for his army. That's about five times the amount of men that David's got. If you remember, David's got 600 men, or about 600, and Saul's got about 3,000. So he's got five times as many men as David does. So Saul goes and he overcomes the threat of the Philistines, and now he returns back in his pursuit of David. He's still just as determined to slay David now as he has ever been. So he gets a report to where David's at. And we find he goes to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. This is rugged territory. And in this particular part of the country, there are many, many caves, large caves. I mean, almost without number. So the first thing we take notice of tonight is the fact that Saul is going to go into one of these caves 
And just so happens that Dave and his men all, have already gone into the same cave earlier to seek refuge. Now, what do you think the odds are of that? What do you think the chances are that, humanly speaking, of all the caves in the land, that Saul would choose the very one that David and his men are in? That's exactly what happens. Notice here. And he came to the sheep coach, by the way, where it was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now, apparently, this is a very large cave. When it says Saul came in to cover his feet, when you study this in the scripture, you'll find that there was a commandment found in the book of Deuteronomy that God gave concerning his people, you might say a sanitation law. And the Israelites were required to take along with their weapons a little trial, a little shovel. If the time came that you had to go uh, and relieve yourself, you were to leave the camp and you were to go to a certain place away and you were to do this privately and you were to cover up everything, etc. This was in keeping with God's law. So it says Saul went into the cave to cover his feet. If you just read that, you might think, well, cover his feet. You know, what does that mean? Well, I, I just told you what it meant. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> he went in there to do what I just said. Now, he's by himself. He has separated himself. He's the king, but he separated himself from his 3,000 men. He no longer has their protection. He no longer has them around him. He has no idea in the world the very cave he has chosen is occupied by David and his 600 men. Now, David and his men well, well aware that Saul is coming to the cave. Now, David's men see this as an ideal opportunity to end all of this. Now, this is a very important point I want to make tonight. We strongly believe in the providence of God. I, I love the, the stories uh, that I hear concerning God's providence. I love reading about God's providence in the scriptures. Uh, I have many experiences of my own that I'm confident that God's providence was in my life. And I love people telling their experiences about how God has providentially led them and directed them and delivered them in so many different ways. I have a book uh, called The Unusual or Extraordinary Providences of God that uh, one of my favorite books to read and see, read these experiences. And his men see this as an act of God's providence. Now, I believe it is or was. But the key here is, why did God direct Saul into this particular cave? Did he direct Saul into this cave for David to end it all? There's just one man between David and the throne of Israel is Saul. Saul is David's chief enemy. But I believe we studied David's life concerning his uh, relation with Saul. I don't think David ever considered Saul to literally be his enemy. Now, it might be hard to understand since he was always pursuing him, always doing uh, all he possibly could to take his life. But you see, Saul was David's king. David's a member of the Israelites. He's a Jewish man. Saul is David's king. Saul is David's commander-in-chief. Saul is David's father-in-law. These are all things involved here. And David is doing all he can to escape to keep from being caught and slain by Saul. But I don't believe he ever considered Saul to be his enemy. Now, he's in that cave with his 600 men, and here's what the men say. 
Verse 4. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that they mayest do to him as it shall, shall seem good unto thee. Now the thing about this is, I don't find where that's ever said. Not in the scriptures. I find statements that might, uh, a person might hear these statements that God made through Samuel the prophet in particular, and might uh, draw a conclusion from all of that, that God may have said that, but I don't think you're going to find exactly what the, his men said that God said concerning this. See, the men of David, their future is tied up with David's future. Whatever David's future is, is their future. And they want to end this thing. And so they come to David, and that's what they tell David. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's rope privily. I take it by this that Saul has fallen asleep in the cave. David comes to where he's at and cuts off the skirt of his robe. What happens? He immediately is condemned. And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Now, David knows the word of God, I believe. He certainly wrote a good portion of it. <laughs> I believe he knows the word of God. So what verse might come to David's mind in a situation like this? The book of Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the moral law. And one of the commandments of God's moral law is that thou shalt not kill. Now, it's one thing to kill in self-defense. It's one thing to be on a battlefield and be killed. Now, to me, uh, that might apply here between David and Saul. They're not on a little battlefield, but Saul has positioned himself to be David's enemy and has pursued David relentlessly in an effort to take his life. It would appear to me that David would have cause to take it, uh, to end this matter here. The sword of David could have ended the entire situation. He would no longer have to flee. He would no longer have to run. He would no longer have to hide. He will be the king. He will have power. He'll have riches. He'll have a name among all the nations that day. All that stands between him and that is him taking his sword and cutting off the head of Saul. But David's not going to do that. His men are encouraging him greatly to do that. This is the test here, I believe, that David is facing. It may be his most difficult test that he's experienced in his young life up to this point. What should he do? You see, it would be so easy to, to, to misread God's providence if you're not careful. You need to always take what you might think is the hand of God in something and compare it to the Word of God. David did not feel like that he had the right to take the life of Saul in this situation right here. So he's not going to do it. This shows the integrity of David, the faithfulness of David, the belief of David's faith in God and David's belief in the word of God. David knows the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And David believes if he was to do this, he would be violating that commandment. So here's what David does after his heart condemns him. He said unto his men, he turns and speaks to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my, what? My master. You notice respect that David gives this man, gives to Saul, he calls him his master. The Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David never lost sight that Saul was the king of Israel. He never lost sight and that Saul was the anointed of the Lord. 
When God allowed Saul to become king, he sent Samuel with a horn of oil to anoint Saul as king. David knew that Saul was the Lord's anointed. Now, you may lose respect for the person who holds an office, but you should not lose respect for the office. Now, we're told in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 1, that every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there's no power but of God. All powers ordained of God. What he's teaching us right here is the responsibility of obeying those who have positions uh, of authority here in a civil government situation. Uh, I'm to obey the laws of the land. As long as that law does not contradict God's law, I'm to obey it. I may not like it. Uh, it may not be a, a law that I support. But if it's a law and it doesn't contradict God's law, then I'm to obey that law. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Peter says that we're to be subject unto every ordinance of, of man, be subject as unto the king as supreme and unto governors. He's saying the same thing that Paul is saying here. Now, I believe David understands that. And he recognizes Saul as God's anointed. He calls Saul his master. So he's addressing this situation with his men. His men are encouraging him to take Saul's life. They see this as the hand of God who's delivered this man right into God, David's hand. All David's got to do is pull the sword. It's all over with. But David doesn't do it. Just cutting off the skirt of Saul's robe has condemned him. His heart has smitten him, much less taking Saul's life. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. I want you to notice here the respect the men have for David. He stayed these men with his words. Now there's 600 of them. If they so wanted to, they could easily take David and put him aside and say, no matter what you say, David, we see this as the hand of God. He's delivered him. We're going to take his life whether you want to take it or not. That's all they had to do. 600 of them, just one of David. Now, I know David uh, slew the bear, and I knew he slew the lion, and I knew, know that he slew Goliath, but these are 600 men. But he stayed his men with his words. That shows the respect that his men had for David. It reminds me, when David wished out loud, we'll see this perhaps later on down the road one time, that he might have a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. He just said it out loud, kind of, you know, just wished it. Uh, uh, he didn't ask anybody to do, go get it for him or anything like that. But his men heard it. His men loved him so much, respected him so much, that they risked their lives, went through enemy lines to Bethlehem, to the, water, to the wells of Bethlehem, and got David some water out of the wells of Bethlehem and brought it back and gave it to David. David felt so unworthy of this act of loyalty, so unworthy of this act of love and respect, he, he wouldn't even drink it then. He, he poured it out as an offering unto God. Now that's what real leaders, real true leaders, their leadership is what brings respect. And they loved David, and they admired David, and they had confidence in David. Their future was bound up in David's future, and they believed that David ought to take his life but David wouldn't do it, and he didn't allow his men to do it. And they respected David enough that they didn't do it. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. 
Saul has no idea in the world how close his life has, to been, has come to being taken. He spent the night in the cave, went in and do what he needed to do. He spent his night, night in the cave away from his men, away from the safety of his men. And now he arises and he leaves the cave to go back to his men. And afterwards, David arises and he calls after Saul. Let's notice this. David also arose afterwards and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord the King. Now, I want you to notice David's language here as we go through this. David arises afterwards, after Saul arises. Now, apparently Saul had gone a respectable distance, but he's within earshot of David. He's going to hear what David says. He's going to see David. He's going to hear David. This is a bold thing that David is doing right here. Can you imagine? I'm wondering, I'm thinking, it's not recorded, but I'm thinking David's men might have said, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> we've, just, we've just escaped here. Saul came in here. You don't even know we're in here. And you're going on the outside now and going to call after him. But you see, Solomon tells us the book of Proverbs. I believe it's 28.1. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion. But the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Here's the boldness of a righteous man. The boldness was not in David. The boldness was in God, David's God. That's where he got his boldness from. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, when it says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word boldness means with confidence. There's a throne of glory. There's a throne of grace in heaven that you can approach daily to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And you're given that boldness to come before it by the Spirit of God and by the power of God. This is a bold act of David here. Now, as you read this, you're going to find where Saul never interrupts him. I find that quite interesting. As soon as David speaks and Saul hears David speak, all Saul had to do was say to his men, he's got 3,000 of them. Well, there he is. Fetch him. There he is. Go get him. There he is. Go take his life. That's all he had to say. But Saul says not a word. Why? I believe in the restraining grace of God. You ever been in a situation where you just, just wanted to say something so bad and you, you just asked the Lord to help you and you didn't say it and you went away from her thinking, boy, I'm sure glad the good Lord restrained me there. Because if it hadn't been for the Lord, there's no telling how this situation would have turned out. You need to ask God for help like that a lot of times. Why did Saul not interrupt David under these circumstances? He's the very man he's been trying to get. And David cries out after him. Saul will not interrupt what David's going to say. That reminds me of God's restraining power. In the 8th chapter of Matthew, when his disciples are on a ship, and Christ is in the bottom of the ship, and a great storm comes upon the sea, and the disciples are greatly afraid, and they wake up the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ speaks to the storm and calms the storm. <laughs> he restrained the storm. He calmed the storm. The wind quit blowing. The waves quit beating into the ship. I believe a God in a God who has constraining and restraining powers, don't you? 
And I believe he restrained him, just like I believe he did Esau. Remember when Jacob uh, deceived his father Isaac, took Esau's blessing that would have come to him from Isaac, then the oldest, the double portion, etc. And Esau was so hot and so mad, he contemplated, meditated in his heart that he was going to take the life of his twin brother Jacob. And he pursued him. But we find where God delivered Jacob. And the day finally come when Jacob and Esau are going to meet. And it does not have the kind of ending that you would expect it. Now also we find twice in the book of Proverbs where Solomon says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, I don't think anybody can get through his life without an enemy or two, do you? But I believe I can be at peace with my enemy, and the way to be at peace with your enemy is to please God. You say, isn't that a difficult task, Brother Ronald, to please God? No, it's a lot easier than you might think. All you got to do is do what he says, and that pleases him. <laughs> God's a lot easier. I tell this all that. God's much easier to please than man is. Now, there are some people you will never please. I don't care what you do. You can bend over backwards and say to please some people, and it's just not going to work. It just is not going to happen. They're unpleasable. I think that's a word. <laughs> They're just unpleasable. But God can make even your enemies be at peace with you if your ways please him. And God, his commandments are not grievous. The ways of God are not grievous. They're not taxing. So we see here where God is going to restrain Saul. Saul's not going to say a word until David finishes. Now we all take a lesson in that. How many times you start to try to tell somebody, and before you can get five words in, they done responded. Uh, they've already, they're saying something back. You know, Wait a minute, let me finish my story. <laughs> let me finish what I want to say. Saul doesn't interrupt. I find that really quite amazing. I find that extremely amazing. In fact, I find that miraculous when you consider who we're talking about here. David and Saul. And David cries after Saul. And Saul doesn't interrupt him. He lets him finish everything he's going to say. God's restraining powers under consideration here. And David arose and came out, cried after Saul, saying, My Lord the King, notice respect David gives to Saul. Something Saul never did give to David. David arose afterwards, went out of the cave, cried out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. Now, this takes a lot of grace to do that. He, you're, you're, he stoops down, bows, bows down to the very man who has been trying to kill him for a long time. But he doesn't see the man as he sees what the man represents. He calls him his master. He calls him the Lord's anointed. He calls him his king, you see. And he bows down just like a subject would, any subject would, to the king when the king would approach. That's, that's the very thing that they would do. He shows him the utmost respect. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. It's been told David that the men around Saul have been telling Saul, feeding Saul, that David is trying to do something to hurt Saul. That David is the enemy of Saul. They've been telling lies about David. They've been telling things that are not true about David. And David knows this. 
And David's going to bring this up to the attention of Saul. David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt? Question. Behold this day, thine eyes have seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee this today into mine hand in the cave. Now, I want you to notice how many times David speaks about his hand. All right. Notice how many times he speaks about his hand. He says, Your eyes have seen now how the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. See, David believes that God's providence was under consideration here. David believes that God delivered Saul into his hand. Now, the important thing is, what did David's hand do? That's the important thing. Now, I think this is a supreme test for David. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 12, in the last verses of chapter 12, we're told not to avenge ourselves. Give not thyself to wrath. For as it is written, and he's quoting from the book of Proverbs, as it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God has never given us the authority to exercise vengeance. One of the reasons for it is because we wouldn't do it right. We wouldn't do it properly. But God does. But God here says, vengeance belongs to me. Don't you take it. Now, it would be real easy for David to feel like he'd like to end this thing. No doubt he must, that thought, I believe, had to go through his mind. But also the word of God, I believe, was in the mind of David. That's why you read in the 119th Psalm where the writer says, Hide thy word in thine heart, thou might not sin against me. If you got the word of God hid in your heart at certain uh, strategic times in your life, it can come up and give you guidance and give you deliverance and help you from doing something you shouldn't do and keep you from saying something that you shouldn't say. But you got to read it and you got to commit it to memory for that to come into play. I believe David understood that principle. He said, if an enemy hunger, you feed him. If he thirsts, you give him something to drink. For so doing, drink fires of coal upon his head. Now, keep that in mind as we go through this, okay? And eyes have seen how the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me, he's telling them about his men, till thee. But mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand, that's number two, against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, now he calls him father. Well, Saul was not David's father, but he was his father-in-law. That's what's under consideration here. He reminds him of this relationship that they have with each other. Moreover, my father, see, yea, the skirt of thy robe in mine hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and kill thee not. Know thou and see there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. There's his hand again. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. You know what? Instead of having the skirt of, Dave, of Saul's robe in his hand, you know what he could have had in his hand? He could have had Saul's head in his hand. But Saul received complete mercy at the hand of David. Let's think about Saul's hand for a second. David had escaped the hand of Saul several times when he threw the javelin. Remember that? His hand held the javelin, threw the javelin, or at least on three occasions. He also said in the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel, I will send him out against the Philistines and surely he shall die at the hand of the Philistines. And then later on he says, well, perhaps he will be slain and he will die at the hands of his own soldiers. 
Look at all the hands of Saul, his, his own hands, the hands of the Philistines, the hands of the soldiers. You know how Saul died? By his own hands. Come to the last chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 31. We find the battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. And the Philistines win this battle. They slay Saul's sons. And then Saul is injured by an archer. He tries to get his uh, armor bearer to slay him, to finish him off, because he didn't want to fall into the hands of the enemy and let them do it. And when he didn't do it, the Bible says that Saul took his own sword and he fell on it. This man died by his own hands. David says, I will not stretch out mine hand against the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father see, etc. Then to verse 12. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee. See, here's where David understands that principle. Now, that, <laughs> that's written by Solomon in the book of Proverbs, and it's written by Paul in Romans chapter 12, but David understands it. He says, the Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand, that's number four, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Now, David recognized that the Lord as judge could not misjudge. Remember in Genesis chapter 18, when God is revealed to Abraham, he's going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you find where Abraham comes before God and says, Peradventure, if I find 50 righteous men in the city, will you spare the city? He says, if I find 50 righteous men in the city, I'll spare it. And then we find Abraham making this statement, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. The Lord Jesus Christ honored that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it says, The Lord, when he was reviled, he reviled not. When he was threatened, he suffered not. But he committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously. Talking about God the Father. He's a judge of all the earth. He will do right. Again, the Lord recognized that principle. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Apostle Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, judgment seat of Christ, daily, that we might receive the things which are done in the body. That which uh, we do is good. We, he, God will judge that. If we do something evil, God will judge that. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. How, how often do we come before this judgment seat? Every single day. Every day God judges my words. Every day God judges my actions. Every day God judges my behavior. And I'm either blessed or, or I receive, you know, chastisement and the condemnation of God. David recognizes that the Lord is judge. And then he says, as saith the proverb of the ancients. Now, David is actually going to quote a proverb that's not found in the Bible. There are certain, there are certain things we say sometimes that's absolutely true, even though we don't have it but divine inspiration. You know, all, you know, all that glitters is not gold. <laughs> That's not found in the Bible. But it's true, right? <laughs> it is certainly true. Too many uh, cooks, you know, will spoil the broth. <laughs> Things we say from time to time, adages or whatever, may be really true and have a lot of value to them, even though you don't find them divinely inspired. But I'll say this, any truth that you can establish, you'll find a basis for it in the Word of God. 
So he quotes this proverb, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. He's really saying right here in this proverb that the kind of man you are will be bore out by your conduct and behavior. Like you know a tree fruit that it bears? You know the kind of person a person is by their conduct that arises, first of all, from their heart. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea? He says, oh, why are you pursuing me to begin with? See, in reality, I'm nothing but a dead dog. In reality, I'm nothing but a flea. You see where David here is showing his, in his own opinion, how worthless he is. And that expression, dog, is used numerous times in the Old Testament. That's what Goliath said unto David. When David approached him, he said, have you come out against me as a dog with staves? Later on, when David uh, shows favor unto Meshavah, you're going to find where he says unto David, uh, how, how have I received such great kindness considering such a dead dog as I am? This is why David uses this expression right here. Then he says again, the Lord judge, the Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. David's resting his case in the hands of the Lord. Now Saul hadn't said a word. Hasn't interrupted him, hadn't said a word. Now Saul is going to speak. And it came to pass when David made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? Notice this. Before, he's only spoken of David as the son of Jesse. But now he speaks of him as his son, and he was his son-in-law. And Saul lifted his voice and wept. I think you're going to see a manifestation of the presence of God in this situation right here. How that David's action has melted the heart of Saul, at least temporarily, for a short period of time, you see a glimpse of Saul that you rarely see. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I. Now, you know, you know when you hear that, there are more righteous than I, it sounds kind of like he might think he was righteous, but David more righteous. That's not really uh, the kind of confession you're looking for. It'd been better if he said, Thou art righteous and I'm unrighteous. <laughs> He's not saying that, but he is saying, Thou art more righteous than I. For thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. Now there's three levels of this right here. I want you to take a look at it. There's the divine level, where you reward evil with good. You go to Romans chapter 12, the very last thing in that chapter, after he speaks about vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He says, and be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's exactly what David did. David has overcome evil, the evil of Saul, with good. He could have slain Saul. He didn't do it. He spared his life. That's the divine standard. Here's the human standard. You reward good for good and evil for evil. So it does me good, I'll do them good. You do me evil, I'm going to do you evil. Here's the satanic level, the bottom level. You overcome good with evil, that's Saul. Saul's been, David's done nothing but good for Saul, done nothing but good for the kingdom of Israel. How's he been rewarded? With evil. Yet David overcomes evil with good. He rewards evil with good, you see. There's the divine level, the human level, and the satanic level. 
And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me. For as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, he even acknowledges that. Thou killest me not. He acknowledges that David could have killed him. For if a man find his enemy, will let him go well away? He asks a question. If you find your enemy like David found him, you going to let him escape? No. Not, not according to the way humans react. Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou hast surely be king. Now, he's going to acknowledge something here. See, Samuel had told Saul twice, 1 Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 15, that the Lord was going to take the kingdom from him and give it to a neighbor of his that was better than him. And he was going to rent the kingdom from him and give it to a man who was a man after God's own heart. David's name is never mentioned. But here, I believe Saul finally comes out of a state of denial. I think he's been in denial this entire time. He's done all he possibly can to keep his kingdom and remain king, but it's not going to happen. So he acknowledges that. But here's the sad part. Verse 21. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and that thou wilt not utterly destroy my name out of my father's house. It's all about him. Not one word about Israel. Not one word about the kingdom. Not one word about the nation. It's him. And so David's going to swear not to do it. Now that's very similar to agreement, a covenant that God made, David made with Jonathan. Remember that? It's basically the same thing that David and Jonathan agreed to when Jonathan asked David not to do the same. And now Saul is doing that. And you'll find where David is going to honor that when we get to Mephibosheth. And David swearing to Saul. Now notice this. David does not ask Saul to swear anything. You know one reason why? Because Saul had lied and lied and lied and lied. What confidence do you have entering into an agreement with somebody that you know has lied to you numerous times in the past? And then we look at the last verse. And David swearing to Saul. And Saul went home. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? Uh, at least temporarily, Saul has decided to abandon all this. Now, if I didn't, hadn't already read ahead, <laughs> I might think the same thing. But see, I've already read ahead. I've read ahead about 42 times. <laughs> I've already read ahead about 42 times, so I know he has not abandoned his plan. It's temporary. He goes home. And you know why I know David doesn't believe him? Because David doesn't return to his house and he don't return back to the kingdom. David's going to stay hiding. Saul went home, but David and his men got them up into the hold. That means into the hiding place. David didn't trust Saul. David won this battle, didn't he? Of all the major tests that David has gone through, I believe this might be the most major test that David faced. He had to do with himself. Before the enemy was out there, it was Goliath. It was, a, it was the lion. It was the bear. It was the Philistines in the past. It's been Saul for so long. But in this case here, he had to face himself. Would he do the right thing? Would he listen to his men? Would he misinterpret God's providence? Or would he obey God? And honor the word of God. 
David was victorious. He, had, he obtained a victory over self, which led them to have a victory over Saul. That's why the Bible says the things written aforetime was written for our learning. Did you learn anything tonight? <laughs> I hope so. I hope I learned something tonight. I hope I learned something before tonight and learned it again tonight. I hope you learned something tonight because human nature has never changed. And there's some victories we can never obtain until we conquer this man right here. I have to conquer self before I can conquer the enemy that's out there. And that's exactly what David did.